Uh, anybody wants to come, the doors are open, and uh, we're asking you to continue wearing your mask. I want, I personally feel you asked me to be your pastor, and I, here's what I think. Let's see how this goes. Let's see what these other churches do. Let's watch how they react. Let's watch and see if they have any problems. If they don't, I think I can wear my mask another week or uh, two if we need to or whatever. I, I don't want to be too hasty. I don't want to be too quick. A lot of guys are uh, just now opening up their doors wide open. Not much that they're doing as far as protection. I'm really not that. Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying brave. I. I think. I, I want to use the word, not ignorance, because I don't want to sound caustic. But I. I just don't want to be too hasty. I don't like these things as much as any of you do. I was worshiping a while ago, and my glasses are fogging up. Y'all can't hear my beautiful voice. It's muffled. I mean, everything about it. I don't like. Other than it has proved to help not contact or spread the virus. I'm not worried about anybody in here. I feel like we're all smart enough. We won't come to church with the virus. And so I'm not worried about that. But I still want to be precautious. Can you say amen? So please wear your mask Sunday. I'd like for us to come early. If you do me a favor, let's get back on regular schedule get our singers here and allow 30 minutes for our prayer time. I don't want to get away from that. I don't want us to get lax and comfortable and and just fall into a rut. I want us to get back to making this a house of prayer. We should never begin a service without prayer. Amen. And I know it's been a sacrifice our Praise team have been coming every service since the virus. Everyone we've had. We're one of the few churches that I know of that had music and praise singers every service. We're one of the few because we were already set up for it and set up for FaceTime. And we just kept doing what we were doing. The only difference, I just didn't have about five or six people to preach to. Now we bumped it up a little bit. It's looking good. And I hope to bump it up again this Sunday. You don't have to call Brother Cruz this Sunday. Everybody say, I don't need to call. All you got to do is show up this Sunday. We will have the seats spread apart. And you will, you will have your social distancing. We're going to protect against that. We're going to wear a mask. I'm asking you not to hug unless it's Kelsey and Derek. They're hugging right now. I guess that's okay. They're newlyweds. And, uh, but if you're family, that's okay if you're living in the same house. But let's hold off on the hugging and the handshaking. Let's do it like we've been doing. Give high-fives and air bumps and, and smile and love somebody. And just let's just keep doing that. Can you say amen? I know a lot of the churches are opening up, and I saw there's some that's already hugging and shaking necks and, and squeezing each other, and, you know, and all that stuff. And I, you know, that's fine. We're going to get back to that eventually. Well, let's don't rush it. Let's don't rush it. 
All right, everybody say, help pastor to have wisdom. Help him to know what to do. I'm making that decision, whether it's the right one or not. I just think we ought to watch it another week or so and just see how this goes with so many of the churches that are doing basically nothing. Our ushers will be opening the door. We'll be sanitizing them. You shouldn't have to touch the door. If you go to the restroom, wash your hands, and then use the paper towel to open the door and throw it in the trash and walk out. So you shouldn't have to touch one door. Our building is only used twice, and even if there was virus in here, if we did nothing, uh, it's about four days before we come back. And so we should be okay in that. We do have sanitizer. We're using some and doing the best we can. And we leave it up to the Lord to do the rest. I want to turn your attention to James chapter 2, verse 17. And, uh, you know, it has been different. It has been unique. Um, I literally have enjoyed coming to church with just a few people, knowing that it wasn't the same as it always was. Something got a hold of me during these services, and I began to realize afresh and anew that I don't want to ever take God and His church for granted. And I think on, on a lot of times in my life, and I know probably you feel the same way, I was borderline. If not taking Him for granted, I was borderline. I was just comfortable and, and not really appreciating it like I should have been. And if nothing else, this has given me a great love and respect and appreciation for God and His house. I am thankful that I can come to God's house. Those of you that are listening tonight, I hope you have felt the presence of God. We've done everything we could possibly do to make you feel the presence of God at home. But now we're asking you to come on back to church. We want you to come on back and join us. God bless you. Uh, James chapter 2 and 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Now I want that to soak in for a moment. If your faith doesn't have works, your faith is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Twice he said it in that passage of Scripture. He was trying to get a point over to the readers of this book. Trying to get us to understand the importance putting works into place in our lives 
with our faith. It's easy to say to somebody that's going through something, I'm going to believe with you. <laughs> that didn't cost me any energy. That didn't cost me any money. It didn't cost me any time. It's just a simple statement that didn't do much of anything. But I'm going to tell you it's a different thing when you know that one of your brothers or sisters is sick and you show up at the hospital, just give them some support and you go to their home and carry food and you get down on your face and you pray and you ask God to heal them and you do special things for them. Honey, that is called works. And the writer said, faith without works is dead. If you don't have any works operating in your life, it doesn't matter how much you declare you have faith. It's dead without works. I think the Lord's wanting us to understand we ought to be busy doing kingdom things. Everybody say, I want to be busy doing kingdom things. Not busy doing things. We all do that. We're all busy doing things, but busy doing kingdom things. Doing things that matter. Loving the things that God loves and hating the things that God hates. Amen. Talking to you tonight about the works of faith. Everybody say it with me. The works of faith. We need our works kicked out in high gear. Let people see what we believe by our manifestation, by our works, by showing them. I want this city. I want our relatives and our friends. I want backsliders. I want people that don't know God to see that we're doing something that's different. It's real. It's powerful. It's mighty. It's going to make a difference in our world because we're doing works. Amen. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord. Give Him a little bit of praise. Hallelujah. Give Him a little bit of praise. Let Him know how much you love Him. Praise God. Give me just a little volume on the monitors, if you would, Brother Gary. <clears throat> I would appreciate it. Everybody say, God bless the Word. You can be seated. I've got about 40 minutes with the Bible study tonight. I'm, I might get through it a little quicker if I don't start rambling. Um, James begins with a statement that seems to fly in the face of a lot of people's doctrine of justification by grace through faith alone. I believe in grace as much as anybody, and I believe in faith as much as anybody, but grace and faith alone are not sufficient for us to stay, uh, to enter into and to stay in the kingdom of God and be effective. James wants us to know what good is your faith? that belief system that you say you hold to, if there is no practical demonstration of your faith. Many of the early church must have been saying and thinking, well, if salvation 
is by faith alone and not of works, then works are not necessary. There was a teaching in the early church that it was just by faith and by grace that we're saved. And a lot of people just took it to mean that it doesn't matter what you do, the Christian world that you and I are part of today, the, the traditional Christian uh, beliefs today think that works are not really necessary in the kingdom of God. A lot of people think I am sustained by my faith and now I am going to heaven and it doesn't matter what I do or do not do. There are more sacrifices or no more sacrifices, no more food restrictions, and I am now under grace and not works. And these were some of the uh, ideas and thoughts that the Jewish people were having. It's in verse 19, James makes the shocking statement that demons also believe in God. He said the devil believes in God, fears and trembles. Mental assent to the existence of God and the content of the Bible means nothing in itself. Fear of God and His wrath and coming judgment is just an emotional reaction to revealed truth. The demons believe and tremble. Big deal. Don't you also believe and tremble at times in your living for God? Are you emotionally stirred when you hear the word preached? I am. Boy, there's nothing that stirs me like good anointed preaching. That was the sort uh, Felix, Paul, Paul preached to Felix in Acts 24. And he talked of him of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. Felix got stirred up. He got convicted, probably a little frightened because of the Word of God, the preaching. In Genesis 22, when God sends Abraham to the mountain to sacrifice his only son, Abraham is already <coughs> justified. He is already right can you get me a old Watto? Thank you, Brother Mike. Open it up when you bring it back, and I'll give you a raise. Abraham is already justified. He's already right with God through faith. Abraham loved God. He's got good faith. He's got a right relationship with God. There was nothing wrong with that. Thank you so much. You say, well, why do preachers drink water when they're preaching? Because they're thirsty. <laughs> because their throats get dry. When you use it like I use it when I teach and preach, <clears throat> I have voice problems and I need a little lubrication. Thank you, Brother Mike. See me about that raise. It was faith that caused Abraham to tell his attendants that both he and his son would 
return from the mountain to sacrifice. It was faith that tied his son's hands and laid him on the altar. It was faith that raised the knife. And if God had not intervened, Abraham would have plunged the knife probably into the heart of Isaac and sacrificed him to the Lord. Because Abraham believed God and he believed the promises of God, his faith was working with his works. Faith without works is incomplete. But the works that issue from faith complete it. When God stops Abraham and spares Isaac from death, he says, Now I know that you fear God. God said, Now I know. Was it in that moment that God received some information concerning Abraham that he previously didn't know about? Absolutely not. But the faith that Abraham had was fleshed out. His faith was demonstrated in the action by his works. He showed God, I'm not just telling you I'm a believer. I'm showing you that I believe in you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to know, God, if you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. Oh, what a relationship and what faith that must have been. The Greek word used for good works or good deeds means very simply toil, labor, an act, or a deed that is done. The implication is that there is some physical thing going on. It can mean building a structure, offering a glass of water to someone, serving communion, or even simply changing paper towels in the church restroom. Works, good deeds, are the physical response and demonstration of an inner set of beliefs, a system of values based upon those beliefs that are both stimulated into being by those beliefs and are also seen and experienced evidence of those unseen beliefs and values. In short, what I'm saying and what James is teaching is that faith manifests itself in physical action of some kind. Forgot to turn my phone off. That's an amber alert. Don't anybody leave. We're okay. That's twice that's happened to me. Faith manifests in physical action of some kind. And that action will complement rather than contradict that faith. 
there's often a tremendous gap between what we say we believe and what we really believe. I've seen that in a lot of people. But let me throw out three words which define many people's relationship with God. Number one, casual, convenient, and comfortable. I like comfortable. I like convenient, and here we are tonight. I don't have a tie on. Thank God for convenience and comfortable. I, I, I like all of this. It's casual, you know, everything we do. But a lot of people want that, or they don't want church, or they don't want God. The word casual means occasional, coming at certain times without regularity, showing little interest or concern, nonchalant, not close or intimate. They are only wanting to be casual with God. But I'm telling you something, folks. It's got to be more than a casual relationship with God. <laughs> Amen. Casual is not going to be good enough if God is looking at us, he wants to see us on fire for him. He wants to see us really in love with him and giving him our best. The second word is convenient. It means being suitable to one's comfort, purpose, or needs. The faith of many is driven by convenience. And it fails when it's challenged to true discipleship. And then comfortable means we want to meet in air-conditioned buildings, amen, in the summer, and a heated building in the winter. And we want to hear sermons that make us feel good. And God forbid, if we were ever made to feel uncomfortable or asked to do something that we're not comfortable in doing. Many things that you and I believe in is because we have been told by someone we think trustworthy. The ordinary person believes in the solar system. How many of you believe in the solar system? How many of you ever been out there in the solar system? How many ever ever went to one of those labs and looked at all those stars and had somebody to name them? Has anybody ever done that? A couple of you have. The ordinary person just believes in the solar system, the galaxies, other planets out there, and the vastness of outer space because some scientists told them that it's out there. We cannot verify it. But we still believe it just because smart scientists told us there's black holes out there, Brother Javi. There's other galaxies out there. It's so vast and it's so humongous, so big that you can't even fathom in your mind is what they say. But I've never seen that. Even historically, None of us saw George Washington. If you did, you're older than you look. We didn't see Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, 
Thomas Edison. We never saw these uh, great men, but we believe in them simply because people who did see them left writings that tell us about these great men. I heard a scientist on Fox News telling about dinosaurs some time back, I don't remember when, and how millions of years ago they existed. And he tried to explain why they died and why we don't still have dinosaurs. He said that some people believe that there was a meteorite that hit the earth where all the dinosaurs were and they were all killed out. And that's why we don't have them anymore. No fact that the meteorite came, but some people believe that. Everything he said was speculation. He could not give anything about them as fact. Why in the world is it that people will believe in theory or supposition from a scientist or someone that has the education, but they cannot believe in the Word of God? The Bible has stood for thousands of, of years. The word of God has ever been settled. It has never changed. It's the most accurate handbook ever printed. And people still refuse to believe it. Scratched on the walls of one of the Nazi prison camps were these words. I believe in the sun even when it does not shine. I believe in love even when it's not expressed. I believe in God even when He is silent. What a testimony. George Barna conducted a survey of self-pronounced Christians and here's what he found about their knowledge of the Bible. Now remember, these are Christians. 48% of these Christians could not name the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How hard is that? 48% of them couldn't name it. 52% could not identify more than two or three of Jesus' 12 disciples. 60% of American Christians can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. When asking a graduating high school born-again Christians, over 50% of them thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. 61% of American Christians think the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. 71% this is the truth, this was a survey. 71% of Christians think God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. It's not. But you know, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if it was. <laughs> I kind of like that statement. And I think if you don't help yourself, don't come crying to me. It ought to have been Bible. No wonder George Borna said, Americans revere the Bible 
But by and large, they don't know what it says. And because they don't know it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. This old pastor still believes you ought to read your Bible. I still believe you ought to get it out and read it and familiarize yourself with it because most of the problems of the world will be answered right there in the Word of God. How are people going to have faith if they never read the Bible or go to church and hear about God? A man was coming out of church one day and the preacher was standing at the door shaking hands and the preacher grabbed the man by the hand and pulled him aside. The preacher said to him, Hey brother, you need to join the army of the Lord. The man replied, well, Pastor, I'm already in the army of the Lord. The preacher looked at him and said, well, then how come I don't see you except Christmas and Easter here at church? The man said, Pastor leaned over and he said, Pastor, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 in the NIV says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The King James Version, we all know, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. A practical definition of faith is believing in what God said He can do. And believing that he can do it. Faith is an actual agreement with God in his ability to perform his word. Faith isn't just believing on the word of God. But believing in the God of the word of God. We have faith all the time in what we can experience with our senses. For example, you go to a doctor whose name you cannot pronounce and whose degrees that you cannot verify. You, he gives you a prescription you cannot earthly read. You take it to a pharmacist you've never met. He gives you a chemical compound you do not understand. Then you go home and take the pill according to the instructions on the bottle. All in trusting sincere faith. Every one of us alive expresses faith in something. No one can live a single day without ex exercising faith in the physical world. When you woke up this morning. You went to the bathroom. You flipped the light switch on. You had faith. The light was going to come on. You gripe, complain and kick. And buck and carry on. Scream like a woman. And act like an idiot. When the light doesn't work. When you awoke and went into the bathroom, you flipped it on. When you get in your car, you have faith that it's going to start. It doesn't always start 
Every once in a while in life, it just doesn't start. When you mail a letter, you had faith the postal system would get it to the right address. I mailed one today, and I wanted to make sure that it, I could track it. No, I've already sent it once, and they didn't get it. And it's a dear lease. They're going to send me some money where I can pay for their lease and make me a little profit. So I want that here, Brother Mike. Every time you walk into a high-rise building and get on an elevator, you're expressing faith in the architect and the workman who built that building. Faith is also expressed in the spiritual realm. Each of us, regardless of our backgrounds or our education, our social status, or our talents, express faith. The difference between the faith we exercise is the object of our faith. The Muslim puts his faith in the Quran and in Muhammad. He has faith. So we Pentecostals think we have a monopoly on it. We do not. Everybody has faith in their God. The Muslim puts his faith in the Quran and Muhammad. The humanist put his faith in himself. The follower of a self-righteous religion has faith in his own good works. None of these can save because in each case the object of the faith is wrong. Your faith is only as good as the object in which you place your faith. The Bible insists that we personally put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Of course, our faithful, one of our faithful scriptures, Acts 4 and 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is a saving name. Jesus Christ is the only name that will save you from sin. And I don't understand why anybody will get down in a chair and bow their head and pray over their food in Jesus' name and do everything else in Jesus' name but won't get baptized in Jesus' name when Peter told us the formula of baptism was for the re repenting and remission of sins in Jesus' name. And if you'll read the book of Acts, everybody in the book of Acts baptized, calling on or saying over them the name of Jesus Christ. And why people can't see that, I do not understand. To understand what faith is, we must get past certain misconceptions about faith. Number one, misconception is faith is the ability to manipulate God. Honey, you can never manipulate God. God is not a 9-1 God, 9-1-1 God. God is not an errand boy. God is not working for you. And you can't manipulate God. This is the approach of the health and the wealth, prosperity, gospel. This approach only sees faith as having one aim, a life of ease and blessing for us all. 
The second misconception of faith is adherence to a set of beliefs. That, that it's all about the, 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 what you believe and the, the things that you do. If your beliefs are not founded on the right person or the right doctrine, it does not matter what else you believe. You must believe the right doctrine. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed. Well, no doubt in his mind. The third misconception that faith is a blind leap into the dark. Some people advocate faith is without reason. You just have to have it. It's a time, it's the same as saying you just have to act contrary to everything you know and trust that it will all work out for the best. You just jump, make the leap. And everything's going to be all right because you have faith. Finally, the faith, number four, that faith is simply devotion to whatever God one happens to follow, the God of your choice. It can be said about a follower of Muhammad or the Atola or to the Christian, he was a person of deep faith because he was sincere. I've heard people say that before. And, and, and being sincere is not the key ingredient there because I know murderers and rapists that were sincere in what they were doing. I know people that have stolen things and they were very sincere about it. But that sure doesn't constitute faith and salvation. Unfortunately, none of these is true faith. Hebrews chapter 11 portrays what real biblical faith looks like. True faith is confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances or consequences. I want to say that again because that's something that all of us are bothered by. True faith is confident obedience to God's word. And notice, in spite of, I'm faithful. I'm obeying God's word in spite of circumstances or consequences. It is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The word substance in the Greek means literally to stand under or to support. Faith is the foundation that gives the believer the confidence to stand. This verse could be translated, faith is the confidence of things hoped for. The word hope carries with it two other thoughts, desire and expectation. The evidence of things not seen. You cannot see the wind, but you see the evidence of it. I felt the wind this week blow. I saw the evidence that the wind was blowing. I could feel the evidence, but I could not see it. I could not see the wind. I saw the trees doing this. 
I felt it blowing against my skin. You cannot see God. But you can know that he's there because of the evidence. Because things happen in the presence of God. You can see God heal people when you come into his house and pray. I've seen people delivered from cigarettes and alcohol and drugs. I've seen God do miracles in finances. I've seen God put marriages back together and homes back together. All of this is God. That's the evidence that God is working. I've seen people get the Holy Ghost. A few minutes before, they were a cussing, lying sinner. And a few minutes later, they were a born-again believer. And they were completely changed. A different person altogether. Faith enables us to understand what God does. Faith enables us to see what others cannot see. And as a result, faith enables us to do what others cannot do. What does faith do? Faith caused Noah to build an ark because he believed God. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Every tree that Noah Cut down, shouted faith. Every board that he sawed, shouted faith. Every swing of the hammer, shouted faith. Every seam that he applied pitch, shouted faith. Only his steadfast belief in God kept Noah faithful for over a hundred years cutting the trees and building the ark because he had faith. And friend, that faith was demonstrated by his works. Your works show me tonight. You're here and I'm not condemning anybody that's not here. Please don't read something into that. But your faith is telling me you love God because you're here. Your faith is telling me you love God because you'll come early and play, practice, get ready for the church because you love God. You singers, you come early and practice. That's a work. Brother Gary, you come here and clean these microphones and change these screens and go back and wash the dirty ones that we use uh, Sunday and bring them back and have them ready for the next. You sanitize everything. That is works. Gary has faith, but he's not going to just sit around and say, I believe God. I've got faith. I'm working. I'm showing you that I have faith because I'm working in the kingdom. When I pass out a track, when I teach a Bible study, when I pray for somebody, when I spend time on the phone trying to help them with a problem, that is works. And I'm here to tell you that if you want to know what my faith is, look at what I'm doing. Look at the works. Look at what's going on in my life. 
because that's the works of faith. Would you stand?